Welcome back to another Canadian Immigration Podcast. In this episode, we're going to talk all about international treaties and why they must not be overlooked. The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. All right, everyone, welcome back to another podcast here. I'm with my faithful compadre, Alicia. How are you doing, Alicia? I'm doing well, Mark, and excited to talk about free trade agreements because this is landscape that's always shifting and quite complex. And it's something where you kind of have to keep going back and revisiting what's going on with each of these free trade agreements, how they've kind of morphed over the years, who's included and what it covers. Absolutely. And just when you think you've got it all figured out, there's an expansion, there's a change, there's a new country that's added to one of the existing, you know, uh, uh, free trade agreements that Canada has entered into. And so today, for all of your listening pleasure, we are going to break down as an overview, the top 10 things that we feel you absolutely must take into consideration and be aware of, no matter which treaty you're looking at using, no matter which um, free trade agreement, this is our top 10 list. All right. And I guess technically it's not in any particular order. We're not saving the best for number 10, but, but this is our list. And if you follow this, you're going to be able to identify some of the most important issues that are going to prevent you from screwing things up when you're trying to help with one of your employers or you as a global mobility professional uh, sending workers into Canada from other countries. So Alicia, number one. Mm -hmm. So number one is to remember where we are, right? We are talking about a situation where a free trade agreement is going to apply and you're looking at getting a work permit for your employee and this work permit is going to be most of the time employer specific and an LMIA exempt category. So this is where these free trade agreements come into play and you're going to be really looking at considering that the reason that IRCC is allowing people to come under an LMIA exemption is because it's reciprocal. So let's say Canada is entering into this treaty. Well, Chile has entered into the treaty too. And so Canadians can go to Chile and benefit from these provisions and vice versa. So keep in mind, this is a reciprocal relationship. This is why we have these treaties, but they do change because these treaties are ratified, sometimes they're modified, sometimes they're renegotiated, and there can be new countries who are added on, countries where it might expire. You might not have that treaty available to you anymore, or that incarnation of the treaty has morphed to an extent that you might have used it one way for years and now, now you can't, or now it's changed. So. Be aware that you're looking at a reciprocal relationship. This is the way that you're couching your arguments and your submissions. Um, and also that you have to go back and check the documents every time that you're gonna file an application. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing is that sometimes there will be a whole lot of fanfare that's, that's going on and all that will change is the name. Why did NAFTA have to change? 
<laughs> it just makes no sense. And at the end of the day, we were looking for all of these negotiated changes and provisions and immigration was virtually not touched. Not even the list of professionals yeah. was modified when Canada and the U.S. and Mexico, you know, at the behest of, of former President Trump. All that changed was now we call it the Canada-U.S.-Mexico agreement. I think the U.S. calls it what? U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement? You know, is that because Canada is like the, the redheaded stepchild or something? You know, anyways. So we'll leave it at that. But yes, number one, changes, dates of ratification, check for updates. Remember the citizenship of the person you're, you're looking for. And that leads us actually into number two, Alicia, on our list. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so depending on the free trade agreements, and there are a number of them, and we'll We'll cover them. We'll get through them eventually here, but um, in, in for future episodes. But sometimes it is okay to be a permanent resident of a country that's a signatory, and sometimes it must be citizenship. So only citizenship, usually more often than not, citizenship is the requirement. But in some circumstances, permanent residency might be okay. But then there's an added layer onto that, Mark, that in some of the free trade agreements, the place of application, the residency, proving residency in that place of application is also important. Yeah. And as we're going through these top 10 lists, remember that you can't just assume. You have to go through, you have to actually read the provisions. You can't just assume that a professional is a professional, which we'll get to later on, or that, uh, you know, just because the individual is working in a certain occupation and the title says one thing, that that's going to work. There are a whole host of things you have to take into consideration. All right, let's shift gears just a little bit here to number three. Yeah, so family. number three is, yeah, number three is a big one because this comes into the practical aspects of when you're talking with companies and you're talking with moving potential employees. I mean, we're talking with, about humans here. So it is tough for somebody to move halfway across the world to come to Canada to work if they're not able to bring their spouse and they're not able to bring their children. And some of the free trade agreements have specific provisions it will facilitate the entry of a spouse but not always and so this is something really to tackle head-on right away to make sure that you understand is the person that's wanting to come into the canadian operations are they married are they in a long-term common law relationship because a lot of times when i speak with people from other places in the world their country doesn't consider them to be spouses in terms of common law partners, but Canada would in, in that they have resided continuous cohabitation as conjugal partners for over 12 months in duration. And so when we talk about that, you know, just because they've told their global mobility specialist or their HR professional or their potential um, new boss, hey, I, I don't have, I'm not married, right? I'm not legally married always ask the next question. Are you a spouse under Canadian immigration law? Do you have somebody that you have resided with for 12 months continuous cohab? Because if you miss that step and you haven't declared it properly when they do their application for the work permit, that can also cause a whole bunch of problems later on. So be careful about spouses. Ask if they have spouses, both legally married and common law partners, and see if those free trade agreements actually can help bring the spouse. And if not, is that going to be a deal killer? Is that going to mean that that employee will not come to Canada? Exactly. And if you've scoured those trade agreements and realized that it doesn't really speak to, to dependence at all, or there isn't an easy pathway, 
Remember that Canada of many countries has very facilitative provisions for accompanying spouses and in some instances, well, in most instances, even even minor dependent children. And, and there's even abilities as, as our programs continue to expand and they're always evolving for, for spouses at all skill levels and, and for dependent children who are adult children. Um, you know, there's just pay attention to what's happening in Canada as well, because some of them may even be able to get work permits uh, as things continue to expand and roll out. So be aware of that. Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in Canada. With more than 10 years of experience, Journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers. Journey focuses on preparing business plans for a number of immigration applications, including intercompany transfers, startup visas, significant benefits, self-employed, PNPs, and so much more. Their main competitive advantages are reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service, and I can attest to that. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing! Or even better, try out their work. You can visit their website at www.jorney.ca and mention you listen to my podcast with the code HOLTHYJOURNEY10. That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y number 10. And that'll provide you with a 10% discount on your very first business plan for new lawyers. We're so grateful to have Journey Business Plans as the title sponsor of this podcast. So take a look at that because, yeah, sometimes even though there's not a specific provision for the spouse or the child, they might just fit under those general provisions. However, in those cases, then you're usually going to have to make sure that the principal applicant has that work permit and that it's valid for longer than six months. And it's that usually has to be a high-skilled occupation. Otherwise, you've got to look at the new low-skilled occupation rules to prove that employment. Yeah, exactly. All right. Number four inadmissibility. Mm -hmm. And I guess this should have been the number one yeah, because it's, it's <laughs> always the thing that throws the application sideways at the last minute when, you know, I, I put it on the questionnaires. I always grill the, the HR professional and they say, oh yeah, we've done our background security checks. And then when I, I, I always talk to the employee, we always talk to the employee, Mark, before anything happens, before anybody gets on an airplane. And I start cross-examining, right? And I know you do too. Indeed. Have you ever been handcuffed, been arrested, been put in the back of a police vehicle, been held anywhere where you couldn't leave because of, you know, a police authority had said that you needed to stay there? And do you then, have a conviction it, that your lawyer said was expunged and you don't have to tell anyone? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Are you a UK citizen? Do you, you know, do you have the rehabilitation of offenders kicking in from 20 years ago in the UK and you didn't realize you had to disclose that for Canadian immigration purposes. Always, always, always screen for inadmissibility, screen for criminal inadmissibility, screen for medical inadmissibility, and screen for potential misrepresentation on prior applications. And this can get very complex because some people, of course, are not visa required. Some people can travel on an electronic travel authorization. And oh my goodness, I cannot tell you how many times there is that question on the ETA and it seems so simple. It's a $7 application. You can do it in a few minutes online, but there is a question and it says, have you ever been charged, arrested, convicted? 
right? And it doesn't say whether that conviction was overturned or you've been pardoned or, you know, it was a conditional discharge or an absolute discharge. It just says, were you ever arrested? Were you ever charged? And if the answer to that is yes, then you've got issues on that ETA, which means you're going to have issues on trying to come in under a free trade agreement. Yeah. And the, re- the consequences of that is, is not always just getting your application rejected. You could find that this employee is, is um, determined to have misrepresented themselves and then has a five-year bar to Canada. So this is really mm-hmm. serious. And, and it's hard because if you have, in some countries, things like DUIs are not as big of a deal as they are in Canada. And someone will think, oh, well, it's just a misdemeanor. It was something small. And I know we keep jumping back to the U.S., but in many other countries, the provisions themselves and the way criminal you know, convictions are handled, people may just assume that it wasn't a big deal. But for Canadian purposes, it really is. So you have to press. You have to, you have to take the time to do it. And like Alicia said, often these things um, come up at the very last minute in our you know, our, our, our final little call that we have with the workers to make sure they understand what they're, you know, what, what's happening as they travel to Canada. We always like to prepare them. It's really important not to overlook that because often when you're dealing just with an HR manager, this person may have had a very good reason not to let the company know they have had a problem and they are absolutely loath now to mention it because it could even jeopardize their employment. So once again, and we've talked about this in the past, whenever you're in a dual representation situation, it's really important before you enter into this new engagement that you have clear, clear um, <clears throat> documentation and sign-offs from both the employee and the employer in your legal service agreements um, that there are no secrets and that this is a dual representation situation so that you're not stuck in a horrible conflict. Mm-hmm. And, and Mark, this is again where I will go back to check for family members, check for spouses, check for children, right? Because this criminality stuff, it could be not the principal applicant that has the charge or arrest. It could be the spouse and it could be the common law spouse. And they might not even realize common law spousal sponsorship or spousal relationship, sorry, is a thing. Or it could be a child who's over the age of 18 and is still considered a dependent child because of course they're under the age of 22. And so be super careful about inadmissibility and especially criminality because it doesn't have to be a conviction. It's the charge and it's disclosing the charge that can be an issue sometimes. And then you need to look into your whole, you know, equivalency in terms of what was, what was going on in the foreign country and what would that be equivalent to in Canada? Yes. And realistically, you guys, that, that could have been a podcast topic all in and of itself. So we've just, just, just skimmed the surface <clears throat> of, of inadmissibility. So we'll probably <clears throat> continue to mention that and address that in future episodes as well, but be aware of it. Okay, the next few we can probably zip through fairly quickly. Number five is, is CAPS. So why don't you break that down just a little bit, Alicia? Mm-hmm. And we'll dive into that a bit more when we talk about intercompany transfers, because that's usually where the caps on duration come up. But some of these work permits, they're not indefinite. You can bring an employee if they meet all the eligibility requirements. But sometimes that work permit only is going to have a duration of a maximum of three years or five years or seven years in aggregate. And so be careful if you're dealing with a situation where you're 
continuing continuously bringing people in and then having them do an extension or another application if they're under that same category. Uh, I think, Mark, on the last podcast, you mentioned the recapture of time on some of those ICTs. So that's something we can talk about more as well. So keep track of where your people are, how long they're there, and when they go back. Mm -hmm. All right. Number six, extensions. Now, they're not always possible. Mm -hmm. And GATS is a good example of that, right? I, I don't think I almost ever use GATS because it's 90 days and it's so impossible to try to do anything with somebody within 90 days unless they happen to also get an ITA and you can switch them under express entry, which is would be magical, but probably not realistic for most circumstances. So be careful on um, making sure that you have some way to actually transition people into a different type of work permit or which is our, they our are number to... seven so this is our, yep. our number seven on our list transitioning yeah. yeah so have a way to bring them into another work permit or support their permanent residency and you can sometimes do that with an lmia that's going to be a dual intent lmia to support permanent residency as well as a work permit in the interim um, but then keep in mind that you've got to go down that LMIA pathway. So go back and take a look at our podcasts on the whole LMIA series. Indeed. And when it comes to the transition process, sometimes there are other work permits that are possible under the International Mobility Program sometimes. And, you know, and sometimes one of the transition plans is permanent residence. So you may start the process as soon as you can to transition this individual to permanent residence if, if this you know, the person that you're hiring or bringing in um, is intending to stay long term. <clears throat> and there's advantages and disadvantages to that, which we've talked about in, in past podcasts. But uh, at the end of the day, that is also a part of the plan. So these are all things you think about before you ever even submit the, the work permit application. You know, what is the long term plan? Is this individual going to be here for a short time? Are they going to be here for a longer period of time? And uh, so keep all of that in mind. Okay, number eight business visitors. Yeah. So just because we're talking about a free trade agreement, it doesn't always mean that the work permit is required. It could be that you can bring people in as a business visitor because of the free trade provisions. And we touched on this a little bit when we talked about business visitors in the in the prior episodes. So just be aware that in some circumstances, the free trade agreement might modify regulation 186 and 187 so that there's a little bit of a tweak on who qualifies as a business visitor, and maybe you don't have to do that work permit application, but that's very um, specific. So make sure that you go and read the provisions to double check. Exactly. All right. Uh, technicians. So this is number nine. Here's the Sorry. <laughs> this is number yeah, nine. Yeah, this on is our number list. nine. Technicians. Tec Technicians are sometimes covered by the free trade agreements. And I think often we, we think of specifically what used to be NAFTA is now CUSMA, Kuzma, in terms of professionals, because that's a common category that we often deal with. But sometimes technicians are also covered. And so this might be a great way to start bringing in people who are some sorts of tradespeople, some sort of regulated occupations. Sometimes there's um, heavy duty equipment, sometimes they're operators, sometimes there's carpenters or welders or plumbers on those lists of technicians. So, you know, don't always think you have to go to that LMIA first. There might be a very legitimate way to pursue bringing in skilled carpenters 
under a free trade agreement because they're listed on the technician list. So keep in mind that sometimes technicians are covered under some of the free trade agreements and sometimes it is only professionals. And, and the inclusion of technicians within these free trade agree- agreements, you know, NAFTA or now KUSMA um, did have at some point some very, very restrictive, you know, provisions for scientific technicians and technologists and, and things along those lines. But this inception of, of, of technicians and the inclusion of technicians within these treaties is a relatively new phenomenon. So some of us have been practicing for quite a while, may just assume that, okay, if they're not a professional, that they're probably not going to be on the list. But that is simply not the case anymore. And so you may be very surprised when you're going down the LMIA route, you know, for a company that, oh, wait a minute, this person is a, that you're now recruiting. And this is often how it happens. You start the LMIA process and then they find a candidate. They're like, okay, now this is the person that we want to bring in. And then you realize, wait a minute, they're, they're coming from Peru or somewhere, you know, and, and you realize we don't have to do this LMIA. This position is on the list and we can, we can go through the, uh, t- through the treaty. So keep that in mind. And, uh, and while we're on the professional topic, our last and final point, this is, our, this is number 10 on our top 10 list. <clears throat> there are a number of things you need to be aware of with professionals. So Alicia, you want to mm-hmm. take that over? Yeah. So if you're looking at a free trade agreement, many of the free trade agreements with specific countries have a professional category. And so they're trying to reciprocally allow professionals from Canada to go to their country and for professionals from that foreign country to come to Canada. The list of professionals differ. And be careful about this because some of the lists are positive lists. It says, if you're on the list, great, you qualify as a professional, you can come to Canada if you fit everything else under Regulation 204 and you can prove this. Now, some of the lists, however, are negative lists, and it means if the profession is listed there, it's ineligible. So be really careful about whether the list that you're looking at is a positive list or a negative list. The other thing I wanted to briefly cover was that under these free trade agreements, um, the wording has been updated in terms of IRCC's program guidelines, the tier level can matter. So if you're looking at specific positions, national occupation classification codes, sometimes in order to be qualified or considered to be a professional, it has to be a tier zero or a tier one nothing else is going to work. So that's something that's different than what we would normally consider eligible under express entry or high skilled work in general for an LMIA. So be careful about the tiers. Um, Also, some countries make it clear that you've got to be a contract service supplier or an independent professional in order to be considered a professional, which is different than how we often look at professionals. And last but not least, those education requirements and degrees, and that can apply for professionals and technicians. Um, You know, I don't think I've ever had it happen, Mark, where somebody coming as an engineer from the U.S. was actually asked to pull out their physical degree at the border with the border agent. But theoretically, that's in the, the program guidelines that they could ask to see the original documentation. So that's something I always just raise. Yeah, and it's always better, always, always to make sure that you do have it available, even if you don't need it. And uh, over the years, our packages, our border application uh, packages have always seemed to add things to them and not remove from. And the additions are always as a result of one officer at one port of entry that just happened to ask for it. And when individuals are coming into Canada and they're, they're flying into airports, 
we tend to see more consistency. But if people are going through, say, the Canada-US border, <clears throat> there can be a lot of variation between those ports of entry. So, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't hurt to be comprehensive. <clears throat> All right, scratchy throat today as we wrap things up, Alicia. Uh, thanks so much. And we'll be back as we dive specifically into the treaties in our next episode. We'll start off with Kusma and then we will work our way through each of the treaties in the, in the upcoming podcast. So stay tuned. Thank you everybody for, uh, as always, for listening. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening to this, iTunes or Spotify. And um, yeah, or wherever you listen to, to podcasts. So go check it out. Thanks, Alicia. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian immigration.